was or is the director, the executive director of World Missions for Converge Worldwide. And I tell you, you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. He's done a, done a great job of leading our movement around the world. Ivan, great to have you, my friend. Good morning. Wow, it's great to be with you. Um, just uh, love worshiping with you. And what a great day to be here, baptisms. I get emotional every time there are baptisms because that is what it's all about. I was a pastor for 28 years before I stepped into this role, and my best Sundays and my best experiences as a pastor were those baptisms. So congratulations, Springbrook. And uh, may God continue to bless you to bring in a great harvest uh, in, the, in the weeks and months and years ahead. So keep it up. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, there is a rumor going around that your pastor, Dan, is the best pastor in the Chicagoland area. Is that true? I would concur, of course. Yes, what, Dan, thank you so much for letting me be here today. It, it really is a privilege. And uh, Pastor Richard had to leave uh, the second uh, before the second service, but um, he and I traveled together through India. I think it must be close to three years ago already, two and a half years ago, something like that. And wow, did we see things together. But... Uh, uh, I, I can just see that God is uh, a blessing your church, and I'm just uh, so happy to be here today to just share a few things about missions. I want to introduce my family real quickly. Uh, usually Susan is with me, but she could not make it on this trip, so this is my wife Susan. We've been married 33 years, and we have three children. Uh, let's see, the oldest is the shortest, and the youngest is the tallest. How did that happen, anyway? So I'll start with the youngest, Shane is 21. He just got married this past Christmas to a wonderful young lady. Uh, had an outdoor wedding on December 27 in Orlando where we live, and it was 89 degrees and sunny. Oh, I love Florida. I love it. Uh, he has a clear call to ministry uh, and most likely will move towards missions. Eric is our uh, middle, middle child. He's on the right. Eric is a... Uh, Army soldier in a hot spot in Africa right now, and we're hoping he'll be home in a few weeks. He's been gone for about a year, and he is single. And I will be taking applications after the service if there are any any interest. Okay, and then our oldest is Bethany. She's in the middle. She and her husband live in Minnesota, and they have given us two granddaughters. So I have to show them off here quickly. This is for all the grandparents in the room. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't that cool? That's Salome, who's two years old, and June, who is now two months old. That was when she was about a week or two weeks old. So there's our grandbaby. So now I just went over all the grandparents, and I lost all the youth. Okay, youth, I'm going to bring you back in. Uh, I'm not as old as I sound. So um, uh, I'm just grateful to be able to share with you today about God's heart for the world and how we fit into that. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 67. We'll be going there in just a moment. So Psalm 67. 
in Acts 1.8, Jesus gave us one version of the Great Commission. He said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Now, a witness, of course, is someone who tells what they have seen, heard, or experienced. If you are a witness in a courtroom case, you don't have to be an expert at anything. You come in, sit in the witness stand, and you tell what you have seen, heard, or experienced. You just tell what you know. And Jesus said that's what you're supposed to do as a Christ follower. You are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. So Jerusalem, where you are, and Judea, you know, spread out. And Samaria, that is crossing boundaries that you'd just seen that cross, reaching out to people that you'd just as soon overlook to your Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. Now, I want to make sure you see something in this verse, which is actually very profound. All four dimensions of those areas of ministry are connected with the word and. And what Jesus was telling us is that those four dimensions of ministry are not to be sequential, but simultaneous. In other words, the first church in Jerusalem, when they, when they were birthed on Pentecost, they did not say, before we go to our Judea, Judea we have to win all of Jerusalem. And uh, they didn't say, well, once we reach all of Judea, then we'll think about the Samaritans. Uh, Jesus was telling us that he has a heart for the whole world, and he's pushing us out of our nest, out of our comfort zones right away. It has to be a part of who we are. I have to tell you that certainly as a pastor, in my years as a pastor, I have seen something very profound happen in the soul of a church when we are engaged in all four dimensions of that, of that, of the ministry that Christ calls us to, Springbrook, thank you for being that kind of church. Thank you for your faithfulness in following Jesus. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for supporting uh, our converged missionaries that are in different places around the world. Thank you for the thirty thousand dollar offering you gave a couple years ago that planted. Uh, all kinds of churches, I think 60 or 120 churches, 120, right? 120 churches out in un, uh, among unreached people groups. You're going you're gonna to hear a few stories and see a few pictures of that this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness because because of your faithfulness and because of your generosity and even because of your sacrifice, people know and have been transformed by Christ because of you right here. And I love that. So thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel and your faithfulness to Jesus. When we talk about being his witnesses, of course, we have to be his witnesses here, uh, across the street, uh, in the co-workers in your workplace, uh, and around the world. We are to be his witnesses. In Matthew 24, Jesus Disciples asked him a question. They said, Jesus, when will be the sign of your coming and when will be the end of the age? And then Jesus said something that we probably are all somewhat familiar with. He said, well, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines and there will be earthquakes. And then he said, but that's not the end. Then he said, things will get even worse. 
uh, you'll be persecuted and family members will turn against you and they'll hand you over to rulers who will persecute you and uh, some of you will even be killed. But that is not the end. Here's what Jesus was saying. There will be times when you feel like it's the end, but it's not the end. There will be times coming when you wish it were the end, but it's not the end. And then in verse 14, right after he said these things, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, But this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, literally ethne or ethnic groups, and then the end will come. I want you to know that that verse does a couple of things. One, one, for one thing, it's the most clear statement that Jesus ever gave to us about when he will return. It also reveals the heart of God, that he is so committed to every people group in the world that he will not return until every people group has an opportunity to respond to the gospel and person of Jesus Christ. That reveals something very profound about the heart of God. While we sometimes talk about the second coming of Jesus, there are people all over the world who still haven't heard of the first. And that's why there's Converge Mission. That's why there is uh, Springbrook who engages uh, with us and in many other ways to bring the gospel to people who have never heard. So uh, I want to share with you a few thoughts about our role in pursuing the heart of God for the world. So let's take a look at Psalm 67. Psalm 67 uh, reads like this. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That means stop. Ponder that. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Well, this is an amazing uh, psalm in the Old Testament that reveals again the heart of God uh, for the world. And so let's unpack this a little bit this morning. First of all, I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 is about our position in God's plan, our position. It says, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. How many of you feel like you are blessed of God? Yes, I do too. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, God is so incredibly good to us. And here's the good news. God loves to bless us. And here's the thing I like about this psalm. The psalmist asked God to bless him. So God loves to bless us, and he wants us to ask for him to bless us. Susan and I feel so blessed in so many ways. I've already mentioned the, the weather in, in Florida just a moment, but this really works a lot better in the wintertime in the Midwest. But uh, <laughs> After we moved from Minnesota, we lived in Minnesota our whole life, and we moved to Florida in January of 2012. The Spirit moved us. Okay, so we moved uh, to Florida, and I remember that 
that first winter, every day I would get up in the morning, I was just overwhelmed at how wonderful it was. I mean, it was, it was 60, 70 degrees every day when I got up in the morning, seriously, and it was sunny, and it was just, it was just beautiful. And I remember one morning I came out of our home, and I pulled out my iPhone, and I said, let's see, I'm going to see what it's like back in Minneapolis, Minnesota this morning. Now, I remember this. It was 72 degrees. There was no wind. It was just perfectly still. The sun was out. The birds were singing. And uh, it, w- it was just incredible. So I looked on my iPhone, Minneapolis, 15 degrees below zero, 35-mile-an-hour wind, and snowing. And you know what I said? Thank you, Jesus, for blessing me. I mean, yeah, you know, the blessings of God sometimes come in simple ways, but boy, they're good, you know. We uh, introduced our children to you. Uh, Every one of our children are walking with with Jesus. And that has not always been the case, so we know how grateful we need to be. We are so grateful. We are so blessed. It's because of God that they're walking with Jesus. And we just feel so blessed in so many ways. It's okay to be blessed. It's okay to want to be blessed. Here's the danger of being blessed, however. That sometimes we like to take the blessings of God and live in what I call the blessing bubble. Okay? We like to live in this bubble where we say, Isn't God good? He must love me so much. Come on, God, just lay it on. And uh, we don't really want to see what responsibilities we have to do with that blessing. I was in uh, North India a couple of years ago. In fact, this was a trip that uh, Pastor Richard was, was with me on. And north of Delhi, India, uh, among some unreached people groups, uh, Converge, in our partnership with TTI, planted some churches up there. And one of those little churches planted another church in a slum village, in the little village of Rotak. Now, I have a couple pictures here just to give you some visuals. But uh, this, this was some of the most extreme poverty that I have seen anywhere in the world. This slum had uh, virtually no water. Any water that they could find, they drank. That's why the children are so dirty, because it isn't that they have bad hygiene. It's because they had no water to wash. And uh, many of the children had no clothes, so that they were walking around naked. And uh, Richard and I and a few others walked through this this little slum village in Rotok, and the children gathered around us. We had like 40 children around us uh, for a good part of the time we were walking through this village, and they're so excited to see us, and and uh, I just fell in love with these little children. I got another close-up photo here. Uh, just fell in love with those children. I wanted to take them home with me, but uh, couldn't do that, of course. But then when we got to the other side of the village, came to this little worship center that had been planted in this slum and I'm standing at it there you can see the homes behind they're made of sticks or bamboo and plastic or cord cardboard or or uh, some worn out canvas or something they're just these simple little homes that's what people lived in all over there but this is the worship center and what you can't see in this picture is the podium at the front of that worship center it's a simple little wood podium And on the front of that podium, in very simple English letters, it says, the kingdom of God. Now, I can't tell you what that did to me, the contrast 
in that context. Because here were people who were suffering every day, fighting for survival, needing food, needing water, needing somebody to care, needing health care. In fact, right across the the little walkway from here, there was a, a boy who got hit by a truck, and he was laying in the grass. They weren't sure he was going to live. They were keeping him covered with uh, some old blankets and stuff that they, they found, and they were trying to keep him alive. It was just its horrendous what they go through. Here's what I was reminded of, though. That no matter what condition we find ourselves in or we find others in, when we bring Jesus to that place, the kingdom of God comes down. The kingdom of God is there, and, it ch- and he changes everything. He changes everything. Now for me, this is just one example of times when I sometimes want to say, okay, now I want to forget what I saw because there's responsibility that comes with remembering. What can I do now to do this? Sometimes when we live in this bubble of blessing, we want to just stay there and not look at why we are blessed. So that's why what I want us to do in, in this next section of Scripture, because it tells us, Psalm 67, verse 2. It says we are blessed, and then it says, so that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. So that. Here's why you are blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing. Now, here's the really cool thing about God's economy. He can bless us, and that's so wonderful. But when you pass that blessing on, you get doubly blessed. Isn't it true that it is more blessed to give than to receive? There is something that God wired in us that uh, once we finally give something away, it is so wonderful to be generous. Well, when God blesses you, He blesses you to be a blessing to others. It is not supposed to stay in some kind of bubble in your life. It is to be passed on. You are to be like a thoroughfare of blessing, not a cul-de-sac of blessing. It's not supposed to stop with you. This is God's design. This is God's plan so that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let's think about that little truth there, your way. What is God's way? What is God's way? Now, here's what I have seen, and of course, uh, research will show you this as well. Every religion in the world except Christianity is based on performance. Every one. You have to do certain things. You have to uh, uh, reach a certain status of goodness or righteousness or holiness to be accepted by that God or those gods. Uh, You have to do certain things to get certain things. Every religion in the world is based on performance, except Christianity. Christianity is based on grace. Everything about Christianity is grace. That means you cannot earn it. And if you try to earn it, you won't earn it. The only way you can be right with God is to receive the gift of salvation and new life that Christ offers to you. You can never earn that. You can never earn a right standing with God. But when you receive the gift, you are justified. That means that you stand before God just as if you had never sinned. It's only a gift. 
And then all of the Christian life is to be a life of grace. We struggle with that sometimes because it almost seems too good to be true. But we have a lifetime to learn how to walk in God's grace. Now listen, the world around you, people around you are starving. They're hungry for grace. People all around the world are dying to experience grace. They just don't know that is possible. Here's what the psalmist says. We are to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing so that God's way, His grace, His goodness, His love, His character can be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. This is God's plan. My favorite definition of evangelism is a real simple one. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. It says so much, and there's so much profound truth in that statement. Now, when we are overcome with God's goodness and His grace, something very powerful happens inside of us. Uh, Let me uh, demonstrate that or illustrate that with a story from Nigeria, our missionaries in Nigeria. We've had missionaries in Nigeria now for about 15 years, just two of them. And now another couple took over for, for them. They started a ministry among, among those suffering from the HIV-AIDS pandemic. And it is amazing the impact they've had. By the way, just to give you a quick snapshot, right now we have 17,000 orphans in a foster parent program that's been developed out there. 17,000. Isn't that incredible? So we have started this, we've had this ministry, and... It gained so much trust among the tribal groups in that region that when our missionaries took the, the uh, Jesus film from True, Campus Crusade for Christ, it sparked a movement of the Holy Spirit among this very remote, unreached people group called the Ndola people. In the last three years, 80 churches have been planted. Here's a picture of just one of those 80 churches that have been planted. Thousands of people. Thousands have been baptized. Here's a picture of some of those being baptized out there. And it's just spreading like crazy. We have 60 pastors right now in training to keep this church planting movement happening among this people group. Why is this happening? It's happening because these people have been living by performance their whole lives and suddenly they realize that God's grace is available to them and it has transformed their lives transform them they will never be the same and you know what they say wow look at what has happened to me everybody has to know everybody has to hear everybody else is still on this performance treadmill and that's why the gospel is spreading the way it is listen for you and me when we have trouble being a witness when we have trouble really expressing to others what christ has done for us we need to go back to the basics it's not trying harder is training better. It is getting back to the basics and understanding deeply and profoundly what Jesus Christ has done in you and what He wants to continue to do in you. I think sometimes, as Christians, maybe who have been Christians for a while, we kind of get on this uh, routine of the Christian life and we're no longer risk-takers. And we have a faith that is stagnant and stale instead of taking risks where God has to step in and show Himself again. And so the stories we have are from years ago. Listen, God wants us to be on this daily journey of faith and risk-taking.
so that we have stories to tell, that we're reminded every day of His amazing greatness, goodness, and grace poured out in our lives. And then we become contagious to others. That's God's plan. It must infuse us with a passion every day. That's God's plan. That's His plan. Now, God has a pleasure too. Look at verse 3, Psalm 67, verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Looks pretty straightforward, doesn't it? It's actually the chorus of this psalm. The exact verse is also in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God, until we see the Hebrew. In the original language, the Hebrew, it literally says, Let the people groups praise you, O God. Let all the people groups praise you. Here, tucked away in the Old Testament, God is revealing to His people way back then and to us right now that He has a heart and a love and a determination that every people group in the world will worship Him, that they will know Him and be able to worship Him. That's His plan. That's His pleasure. That's what He's pursuing, and He wants us to be in pursuit with Him in that it is, it is what um, makes us whole. When we worship God, that's what makes us whole. And God knows that. There is no human being on the face of earth that will ever be whole until they are truly and authentically worshiping God. And so he wants the whole world to experience that wholeness, that purpose for which they have been created. I love it when I see lives transformed and changed. Especially when I see... Uh, People that seem hopeless and helpless who are transformed by the gospel. Just about six months ago, I was in Nepal uh, with our national leader out here, out, out there. He's a Nepali man. His name's Shiva. And we're driving way out in some remote regions, and there were about eight of us in a van traveling through Nepal. And Shiva said, hey, my father lives in a village up here. Can we stop and share the gospel with him? He went on to say that the gospel had been presented to his father 19 times, and 19 times he rejected the gospel message. And we said, well, sure, let's do it. Maybe, maybe number 20 is the magic number. He went on to tell us that his father is now 84 years old, and he was a Hindu high priest for 57 years, and still is a Hindu high priest. So we stopped at their home. Shiva is the second one from the left. And uh, Dr. David Nelms, our director of Global Church Multiplication, founder of Kiki Eye, is way on the left. The uh, Shiva's father is the man with a hat on. After uh, David Nelms presented the gospel to him, the rest of us were silently in prayer in that room with them. This Hindu priest prayed to give his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Now, you want to hear the skeptic in me, we left, and I didn't say anything to anybody, but I thought, did he do that just because he felt pressured? You know, there are eight men in the room, eight Americans, and did he, was he feeling pressured? So I wondered. Well, later that night, after we had traveled on, Shiva called, or, uh, Shiva's father called him and said, Shiva, what a day! He said, I already feel God doing something amazing in me. I feel Him changing me. The next morning, Shiva's father called him again, and he said, Today, Shiva, is a good day. Today, 
I'm getting rid of every one of our Hindu idols in our home. Isn't that incredible? I just love that. So about two months later, Shiva came to the U.S. for for the first time. And when I saw Shiva, I said, how is your father doing? He says, he's doing great. Two weeks after you left, he led my mother to faith in Jesus Christ. And then uh, the, the pastor of the little church that, by the way, you helped start and Converge helped start out there, uh, is now discipling him and helping him to grow up in his faith in Jesus. This is beautiful. This is God's pleasure. That people in the remote places who are lost in such deep spiritual darkness would find grace and truth and life in Jesus. I love that. And just a couple of other quick stories. Up in India, way in the northeast part of India, where you also have planted some churches, there's a people group there called the Boro, Boros, and uh, the, the Boro Baptists. Seventy years ago, these people had no believers. They were headhunters. There were no believers among them. And a couple of years ago, I went there and spoke to their annual gathering. There were 50,000 people. This is a picture of it. 50,000 people meeting in a temporary structure they built out on a dry rice paddy out in the middle of nowhere. They spent a whole week out there together. Felt like I was in the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles. And it was just, it was the most amazing thing. And here's a people group that 70 years ago there was not one known believer and now there are literally hundreds of thousands of believers. What we're doing now is trying to mobilize them to reach unreached people groups that live in uh, close proximity to them. And that's where some of your churches are being planted as Springbrook has helped help fund. Isn't that cool? This is God's plan, His pleasure. Let me show you one more quick picture. One more quick picture. This is Roman and Emily Cheetok. Roman and Emily are in Moldova, the poorest country in Eastern Europe. And uh, uh, Moldova is a spiritual wasteland. It's 98% Russian Orthodox, and there's nothing biblical about this. It, 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 it's just awful. It's awful. And Roman and Emily are there to catalyze, to spark church planting movements there of evangelically, cult, evangelical, culturally relevant churches. And uh, just not too long ago, they took 51 junior high young people to a camp for a week. Not one of them knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And when they returned home, all 51 had committed their lives to Christ. Isn't that the coolest thing? I love it. This is God's pleasure. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people groups praise you. This is His plan. Now, I need to, I need to wrap it up. I want to just talk about God's passion real quickly. God's passion. Psalm 67, verse 7, the last verse. The last verse says, God blesses us. This kind of encapsulates the whole psalm. It says it in, in one sentence. God blesses us that, and we could say so that, all the ends of the earth may fear Him. You and I get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of sharing the Gospel, of spreading the name of Christ to places that He has not been known, to people who have never heard His name. By the way, there are still some 6,600 unreached people groups in the world. That's people groups with 2% or less Christian of any kind. Most of those are way below 1%. That's where we... We, in the last uh, 18 months, have started working among 181 of those unreached people groups. There are 
some 1,500 unengaged unreached people groups left in the world. That is, people groups where there is not one known believer and not no one is working among them to bring them the gospel. Just this year, Converge will be engaging 20 of what we call UUPGs, unengaged, unreached people groups. We will be the first people in all of history to bring the gospel and establish Christ's church among those people groups. And that's just the beginning of what we what we're doing in these parts of the world so and you're a part of that you're part of that thank you for what you're doing thank you for your sacrifice and what you're doing by the way i want to just close by saying our newest mission field is just an example of the places where we're going now we we want to send missionaries and do work in places that have been forgotten and overlooked uh, since christ was on earth and one of those places in, is in some remote regions of Indonesia, eastern Indonesia. We're calling it the Spice Islands Initiative. This is a mosque that uh, we visited just uh, a year or so ago, massive mosque. We actually were invited in spontaneously to watch during the prayer time. And uh, we spent time there. We were so welcomed. But then we visited. We went down the coast a couple hours up into the mountains because we heard of this unreached people group called the Ulamanda. And we went into this little village and we met the Ulamanda people who welcomed us with such warmth. We had the most amazing time. They had never seen a foreigner in all of history in that little village, just five miles from the ocean. And that, that old woman symbolizes for me urgency. Because if we don't get the gospel to these parts of the world, this woman will die without Christ. She was a wonderful woman, but she's never heard of Jesus. This little child, also in the Ulamanda village. Uh, next slide is a picture of opportunity that if we can get the gospel to her, she has a whole lifetime to live for Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness, seriously. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for sacrificing so that others can know about Jesus and embrace Him so that all the peoples in all the world can worship God too. Now you've invested a lot in this rapid church planting uh, as a church. And I want to close with you watching a, about a three-minute video on what your giving and your church planting is doing in other parts in the world. So just enjoy this. All my life I've heard with my ears. My fathers have told me about the great things God has done in ages past. I've heard about the mighty movements of the Holy Spirit. I've heard of masses coming to Christ. And though I rejoiced to hear it with my ears, my heart's desire was to be able to see it with my own eyes. Like the blind man in the Gospels, my prayer was, Lord, please open my eyes. I want to see. Well, God has answered that prayer and done so in an incredible way. With my own eyes, I've seen churches planted by the tens of thousands, reproducing like rabbits, springing up everywhere, in houses, caves, dried up riverbeds, under trees, in alleys, and on rooftops. With my own eyes, I've watched them, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, gathered together, seated in little fellowships on the floor, worshiping the one who redeemed them, praising him with their lips, with tears in their eyes and joy on their faces with their hands held up in praise. I've seen them clutching their Bibles, holding them tight, even kissing them. I've watched as they prayed prayers that shook my soul, I've seen them set free, delivered from disease and demonic forces. I've seen people touched, changed, healed by the mighty name of Jesus. 
I've seen them bringing their families, their friends to Christ. I've seen them like a mighty army going from village to village, place to place, mountaintop to valley, preaching His name, leaving new churches behind. I've no longer just heard about it. I've seen it. I've seen first-generation believers who've given up everything to know Him. I've seen persecuted brothers and sisters rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. I've seen wizards, idol worshipers, those in bondage to every conceivable vice set free. I've seen former Muslims not only worshiping Jesus, but making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I've seen trafficked sex slaves now bringing other girls to Christ. I've seen orphans, widows, the least of the least being loved, fed, and cared for. And I can only say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I not only get to see it, but praise your name. I get to be a small part of what you're doing. Hallelujah. Praise your holy, holy name. Forward, offering. 